the Digital Dental Academy podcast. Sponsored by 360 Visualize. And we're live. We're not live. Well, we're not live, Just, but yeah. No, we're, we're recording. We're, recording. we're on. We are recording. Okay. Um, good evening, boys. Cambridge here. Evening. How's it going? Hello. Hello, everyone. Welcome to our second uh, podcast for the uh, uh, Dental Academy. Excellent. And a second the, one. A second of many, hopefully. Yes, indeed. If anybody Tonight still listens to us. exciting subject, <laughs> which is the 3D printing party. Yes. And the 3D printing possibilities uh, in dentistry. I know. I can't wait for next week. Next week is going to be great. Got August de Oliveira coming. It's going to be doing a two-day um, two program on 3D printing, on various aspects of 3D printing, um, everything from prosthodontics to surgical guides. It's going to be really good. I think it will be really, really useful for us and for all the candidates. You know, it's it's going to be a real game changer bringing this straight up to date with uh, with practical tips and hints and everything on how to do. We, we've had so many questions as well on the uh, uh, on the website and people approaching me and uh, got a long list of things that we want to talk through. Really, so I'm I'm quite excited about this. Yeah, we've got a we've got a good list now. So. Um, I've just sent you that list now, Patrick. So you should have uh, you should have access yeah, to that. Got it right through now. It's always good to have uh, a little bit of uh, cloud networking here, isn't it? That's it. Uh, my first question is: different types of three D printing available in dentistry. We we have so many different types on the market now that it's a little bit of a jungle out there, and obviously everyone wants to have the most efficient and most cost-effective solutions. So, so uh, but we, we're really interested in the quality of things, though. So, Chris, you looked into the different types, didn't you? Yes, I think, you know, uh, one of the first things about 3D printing is that um, 3D printing is applied in many different technologies and different um, um, uh, workforces. And I think for dentistry, we really need to find the printers that are going to be doing uh, the best, job for what we need it, need it for. And uh, when we look at the types of 3D printers, we know that there's uh, fused deposition modeling, um, SLA, which is stereolithography, digital, digital light processing, the DLP printers, selective laser sintering, which the labs are using for making frameworks, selective laser melting, laminated object manufacturing, which is a very old technology mainly used in um, architecture, uh, digital beam melting, again, in uh, industrial uh, and, and um, mechanical applications, the motor industry. But I think really what we want to be looking at is what we're going to be using in dentistry and why we're going to be using them. And uh, when we look at the main technologies involved in dentistry, what we have is mainly um, SLA, which is, everybody knows the form labs. It's a very common uh, and probably the most popular dental printer that we have on the market. It's a great and accurate way to 3D print any objects and it can be used in all industries but it is used in dentistry. Unfortunately, it's not a fast method of printing, but it is a fairly accurate method of printing. The other thing that we tend to use is DLP, um, and, uh, which is uh, digital light processing, and this is uh, utilized in dentistry for creating models, um, castable restoration, surgical guides, splints, and even short-term temporaries. It's quite a uh, much, much quicker printer than what the SLA is. But Adam's going to talk more more to us about about the uh, different um, aspects of that. 
And another printer that's generally used is the fused filament uh, printer, which, um, and then you have one of those, the, the Robox Cell, which is a, a nice, nice one to use for um, various uh, aspects in, in dentistry. Unfortunately, not as accurate as the as the SLA printing, but still very versatile and quick for especially surgical guides, isn't it? Definitely. I mean, do you know what? Uh, I thought when I got my form labs, I would never touch that cell Robox ever again, and it's probably because I, you know, the three of us, you probably find the same thing. But you know, if you're doing a lot of digital dentistry, then realistically, you you you've got that much of a turnover if you're doing it all the time that you need everything at hand all the time. So I I can't say I don't use it anymore. I still like, for example, um, a a girl the other day forgot to bring in some really nice three D printed models that I printed on my form labs um, and they were really high resolution mock-ups. She bloody forgot them. So um, I had to print them off again uh, quickly on the cell Robox, which was on low resolution, but it didn't matter for the temporaries um, that I was going to do in that case. And it was done in, you know, it, it was done in under an hour. So if I would have had another hour and a half to the day, which I, I didn't, then I would have just sent it through on the form labs again for the better accuracy. Would have been less work, but um, but yeah, it still it still has its place. Still nice, nice to to use every now and again. And very competitively priced as well. I might add. Yeah, know, it's, definitely. It's a big difference in price this year. It's easy to think that oh, why don't we all just get the fantastic big uh, object printers? But you know, we're, we're talking a big investment and and a big need for a big return on investment. We'll come back to costs in a moment, but you know, the, the, the little filament printers, they, they are, they are cheap, aren't they? Yeah. I mean, re realistically, you know, with, with the Robox and, you know, we, I bought mine on, on Amazon for like 750 quid. Um, it, I think it, it, if you're going to go serious with anything, you can't use it for anything. Um, you know, if you're going to use it for, you know, surgical guides and model printing all the time, then it's you're going to outgrow it very quickly. But uh, it's still a good printer to to get you going with stuff, and it's good to get into the world of three D printing for sure. Yeah, I think it's really, really excellent for getting you to understand workflows with three D printing and um, just getting you to play with the equipment and getting used to um, uh, working working through. Just we have to accept that it's not just us being excited about this. This is certainly the future, and the labs are using it more and more as well. And uh, and that actually leads on to my second question from the from the website here: what, what can actually be printed? And I remember we spoke about this on one of our previous courses, where where I went through a, a list of things with nylon and wax and the nylon titanium and peak. We can print ABS plastic now, and and of course epoxy resin. You can even print metals like silver and titanium and steel now, and you can be printing um, cobalt chromium frameworks, uh, various types of photopolymers and polycarbonates, but it's adding to the list all the time. Um, what we have to remember is that if we want to use it in the mouth, it needs to be of a medical grade, so it's biocompatible. But for things that are used in a, in a lab situation, of course, if we print something like wax that will be melted out anyway. Um, Chris, you, um, Adam, you've had a lot of uh, experience with different materials for, for your print setup, haven't you? Do you know what? I think the realistically, for all those things you, you've said there, Patrick, a lot of them are, are benefits which 
are going to be for the, the dental lab the most. I mean, um, you know, Bard today where, uh, you know, there was a, a, a brilliant lecture by Steam where he was talking about uh, how yeah. 3D printing is, in, in a way, revolutionized what they do for things uh, when, you know, for the metal printing side of things that they can get to undercuts and create porosity that you just wouldn't be able to do with a with a, a mill, even with a five axis mill. So I think there are some ways that there are going to be benefits to different sectors. So the lab side of things, uh, for the dental side of things, where we've got, like you say, with the, you know the splints, retainers for ortho, um, for even bleaching trays, is the you know the temporaries, acrylics, all those uh, different types of resins that we'll use. Um, and then, you know, the lab will use the other castable resins in that. So uh, it's going to affect everybody eventually, the, the 3D printing. It's just a matter of time. I think the, um, the, the, the big thing about 3D printing is that one has to separate, uh, even within the dental industry, uh, what you're going to be doing with it. I mean, if you're going to be using a chair side, you're not going to be doing the type of things that the laboratories are doing. The laboratories are obviously looking at uh, uh, laser sintering, and obviously looking at the larger strata-sized object um, printers that are very accurate and they have very good resolution. Yeah. However, it's impractical, impractical to use that inside a, a normal dental practice unless you're doing really high volumes. But yeah. um, It just wouldn't that, justify this, the cost. No, you couldn't. You couldn't. And that's really what we're going to look at. You know, what do, what do we as dentists want to have in our chair-side uh, option to be able to utilize and help us with our workflows? And what does the lab do to help them with what they have to do? It's two different uh, kettle of fish, really. It's very true. And it's important to evaluate the different pre-printed uh, pre solutions as well. So, you know, we have to be skeptical. We can't just trust everything what the companies say because end of the day, they, they have a product to sell and that's, that's their job, really, to get their particular printer on the market. We mm. have to somehow look at a benchmark. The reality. And, and also you print the models and not just on technical specifications. No. Uh, um, probably if you want to order parts in and, and, and look at the accuracy and precision and, and, and do some prints and see, see where it takes you. And there seems to be a lot of variation in, in uh, not just between printers, but, you know, they need to be calibrated properly and you need to look at what accuracy you actually need as well. There's a big difference in, in making a bleaching tray and, and a surgical guide and, um, you just got to remember what we're actually using them for. Do you know? Yeah, and one of the other problems with uh, digital technologies is the rapid evolution and how far um, things. And you know, even if you want to look at it from a um, um, evidence-based perspective, there really isn't much out there at the moment to say. You know, we've got good, valid st studies on no. on on, on um, accuracy and what's going on because. The technologies are moving so quickly, there's no time to actually sit and say, let's do a study on these things because it outstrips itself within a few months and there's a newer technology and there's a newer way of doing things. Mm. And a lot of the uh, software evolves rapidly. So that changes and makes things a lot better at every single level. Mm. And uh, unfortunately, um, we're still in a position where there's very little literature out there. Yeah. So how precise do you think we need to be, really? If you're printing something like a guide, what, what kind of accuracy numbers can we realistically get from a, from a form lab printer, for instance? I think the, the, the accuracy side, you know, the, it's a different type of accuracy that we need for, uh, for something like a crown because on a crown, we're looking at, 
you know, the milling accuracy and the surface anatomy. Uh, whereas on on a on a guide, as long as it's it's accurate to sit on that surface, um, then I would have thought that. It, then we're okay. Yeah, we're yeah. okay. So it doesn't. I would say we don't need that level of accuracy that we need for crowns, but still we need an accurate enough that it's not going to impact the the overall accuracy in a in a major way. Now, sounds like I'm being really vague with that, but with a crown, you know, with the with a million of things, we we want the the million down to, you know, the accuracy down to twenty five microns or less, really, don't we? So. If with a three D printer, they're all seventy five to one hundred and fifty microns, and it's a massive difference. But does it have any bearing on what we do with the guide? Um, I don't think so. And I think that the the with dental models, um, again, if it can print at you know seventy five microns, uh, it, it's just a, it's another step of error, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, and, and fundamentally, a printer's accuracy and precision are defined by how well calibrated all of its systems are. So a system can only be judged on its final printed parts. One needs to look at the whole print and look across the arch to see what the accuracy is like. It's not good enough to look at study or somebody, salesman comes to you and says, you know what, it's accurate to 40 microns. doesn't mean anything. you really got to look at the models. Exactly. And, and it's, it's so important if you look at when you see labs talking about uh, 3D printers and saying one could be worse than another or um, it will do this in time. Um, it's understanding the throughput that's going to have the bearing on the accuracy and how much of a throughput you need, whether it will happen anyway in a year. Do you need it serviced to that same level every year or do you need it serviced every three years, depending on the volume that you're putting through the printer? Do you understand? Like a car. Um, I'll give you a good analogy with that. With with cars, you know, the, you can most most cars used to have yearly services, now some cars have two yearly services, and things like Teslas, uh, they'll have um, they don't have like strict guidelines on uh, services because the cars regenerate the the electricity as it's it's it, it's braking. You don't use your brake pads as much, so you're not using the components that would naturally wear out. And with the three D printers, um, I think it depends on how often you're using it that will wear out the laser, wear out um the calibration so that uh, i think it depends on the volume that you're doing and i think it will be totally different for a dental practice compared to a lab as well yeah because a lot of us will probably just do a couple of models printed here and there and we might just do the old surgical guide where it's, it's a luxury for us a, basically a, a big throughput and um you know and they'll have bigger printers that can print 30 models at a time or, yeah. uh, or 100 models at a time you know and then they'll be they'll be whacking them out, you know, all day every day. So they'll reach that service level um, in okay. you know weeks. What we would take a year or more to use. You know what I mean? Yeah. But still, it's an important thing because I mean, re, you know, things that you see on online or in reading articles and what have you with um, with that if when they lose the calibration of the laser or if the laser's dying off, um, then it can lead to errors in the way that the the the, the features are printing and um i know you know from today's talk where they were showing how some labs do uh, monthly checks with with calibrations to to make sure that everything's printing accurately but uh, but it's like that that's 
they're they're high speed uh, turbines, aren't they? You know, we we send ours for service. Um, they send their three D printers for service. You know what I mean? It's just a, yeah. a, a different tool. Another important thing I think with three D printers as well that they have to be easy to use. We got to have something that's accurate and reliable. But end of the day, we we have to have something that we could just turn on. Uh, set up fairly quickly and and the new machines are designed to more or less work straight out of the box but the more complicated ones often need yeah a technician to set it up and they might need a lot of um software installations and, and things like that to make it actually work and nowadays we're seeing big improvements also in how the resins are dispensed and uh, uh keeping low maintenance yeah. production so to make this yeah, it's also the reason why the three of us have been working so hard to set up the um, IDDA to try and create protocols and workflows for people to be able to refer back to and to um, at least have some a resource where they can look at it and say, how am I going to make this predictable? If I follow this, this is what's going to happen. This is what I've got to do. Yeah. This is what I've got to do with my print and service it. Then I know I'm always going to be getting that regular accuracy. Definitely. And if you do an X amount of prints per month or per year, this is how often you should have your machine serviced. And and do you know what? Like I always say with the digital dental side of things, Chris, that you know, that's when that link with the lab is going to be so vitally important because they know these things. They deal with this, like I said. So, you know, if we if we can see how often things need to be checked and um, maintained then we can apply that to a smaller scale for dentists as well. The Digital Dental Academy podcast. Sponsored by 360 Visualize. Should we talk about what a good setup could be for, for a practice that wants to start 3D printing? Because, you, you know, a lot of us don't have labs and... and uh, but we might still want to be able to print a little bit in-house before we turn that into a big-scale investment. So, so um, Adam, you, you, you've tried quite a few different printers lately, haven't you? <laughs> Good one to start with. I've, I've, got, I've got three in the pipeline coming from uh, Kickstarter. But, you know, mo- all yeah. of those and the Robox, they're really more... Um, they're just, you know, ones that I'm, I, I dabble with for being me. But the... I, I still think that you can't really go wrong with the form labs. The form two is, um, uh, it it is a, a, a it's an re- industry standard now. Yeah, you know, there's a reason why a lot of the labs have them, um, and it's and it's more than just the fact that it's it's not really to do with how fast it prints. If it prints a bit slower than a DLP printer, um, it's more the ease of use. So for me, why I I love it. I've got three different uh, tanks three different cartridges that I use on a regular basis and for me to change over from one resin to another I don't have to faff around with changing anything um, other than just slip one cartridge out slip another in change one tank the UV protector goes over the top and at the end of the day it's a quick and easy change that gets me going again with what I want to print and if I used a different printer then I would have to clean everything out, use alcohol, wipe it all down, um, pour the other resin in, and you know it, it, that takes time. So unless you dedicate different printers for different things uh, and keep the resin the same, it, it is a really nice printer to just be able to swap over. So I, I'm chuffed with my form lab. So the, the form two is wicked. 
So and there's a lot more you would there, really, because uh, we have to keep the uh, biocompatible separate from the uh, from the just model resin, really. So, uh, and if you only have the one printer, then you have to drain it all down and clean it all out, and you exactly. lose a lot of resin, and uh, and it, it can be quite a big cost. And and there are some costs involved with with printing, really. Uh, it's quite interesting to see uh, an alginate uh, that makes us uh, a plaster model costs virtually nothing, but it's also very messy. And, and in my lab now, I'm trying to move away from using plaster wherever we can because it's just so dusty and, and so messy and yeah. uh, just not nice, really. But there are, of course, costs to convert over to to, um, to using resin, really. So, yeah. um, I mean, it's not just buying it. It's also running costs and, and also maintenance, isn't there? Yeah, I mean... And it's expensive, too. People talk about the cost per print, but realistically, it's more than just the cost of the resin. You've got the cost of the equipment and the maintenance. And um, it can be over, I think it's overstretched sometimes, it's understretched, but the un, uh, underestimated rather. The look if you know, the, it, you can find online examples where people talk about, you know, prints will cost anywhere from, you know, a dollar to, you know, five pounds or whatever system or currency you're using. But, um, if you take it that it's less than a fiver per print of whatever type of um, print that you're doing, a, a few pounds, then you've got to incorporate then what your other costs are. And I was running through this today, and you can look at more expensive equipment, but I, I'm just going to go with um, the form labs, the form wash, and the um, the form uh, cure. So say say in total... You're looking at that and service cost per year. Um, you say you're looking at the service cost per year. I don't know. Could be up to what five hundred quid per year, um, well, depending on what they do. Percent of the cost of the printer, really. Yeah, and say so. Say say you're looking at purchase and uh, service costs over three years. Say uh, generalized, you know, term for finance or whatever that people use. Uh, say that's five or six thousand. So six thousand. How many prints do you reckon on an average day? While I've got my calculator, here, Patrick. Say we do a hundred guides a year. Less. Yeah. So we do. Say we do. Yeah. Say we do a hundred guides a year, uh, and in any one week, say you print one model at least. So say say we print two hundred things of whatever kind a year. Um, so over three years, that's six hundred things. Of whatever, say we overestimate six thousand that cost. So divided by six hundred, that's ten. You know, ten per case, which is you know, it's nothing, is it? At the end of the day, compared to what you're doing with it. But that's the extra cost that people don't talk about when they're talking about you know this cost me two pound fifty print or whatever, but or seventy two p for a bit of reel on the row box. But there is the extra cost, obviously, of the machine. Yeah, and someone needs to run it as well. But then again, it, it takes a while to make plaster models and trim them back and set them up and wait for them to cure and all that. So, you know, with the printer, once you've loaded it up, just leave it running and then you come back an hour later and that's your model done. Yeah. So I think that's... Yeah, there's a bit of processing time involved with the SLA, isn't there? Yeah, definitely. You've got, you've got to, you know, you've got to wash. So what the, the usual process, for those of you that don't know, um, what you have to do when you print in a 3D model, you've got your STL, 
Um, your STL, which is uh, your 3D impression. Your 3D impression is just the surface uh, detailed. So it's a 3D mesh of triangles and the triangles make up a 3D image of that surface. But it is just a surface. Even though it's a 3D object, it is just a 2D surface. The 3D printer can't deal with um, the 2D surface as it is. It needs to be turned into a principal model. So it needs to go through some kind of model building software, whether that's you doing it yourself in MeshMixer or another uh, software. But once you've then printed that, um, then you have to clean up the, uh, the print itself. So that's putting it through an alcohol cleaning system of some kind or another, and then curing the resin. So even though it comes, it, cure, it cures as it's setting to be able to turn into a 3D object, uh, you still have to fully cure it, which needs to go under a UV light for um, you know a good amount of time. So there is a process that you have to work through to get from a liquid to a usable model, but it's... Um, you know, it, 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 there are tools now like the form wash and the form cure that aren't that expensive that make your life a hell of a lot easier. Make a big difference. And yeah, I was looking if, if you imagine printing something like a full arch author model, you know, that could take maybe two and a half hours to process. And say, if you need nine arches, you're looking yeah. at seven or eight hours, really, aren't you? So yeah. it, it does take time. But of course, you can print more than one. Yeah. And, uh, and you it's an overnight job. At the time. <laughs> There's some very exciting new printers coming out now as well, like the structure where you can print 30 models in 90 minutes or 60 minutes with the new version. So I think we can see some very exciting developments here with, with new printers coming out. And to me, it feels as if all the manufacturers are, are, are just sitting there waiting for, uh, for, for, uh, for the gun to go off so they can get going. produce a bring the new exciting models to the market but they all want to see what the others are bringing out first i think so yeah that's <laughs> a bit it's the resins as well patrick yeah. there's the you know you know from what we've been talking to people like dmg that uh the resins yeah. that they're they're working on um are you know the next dent resins are what's used in the form labs and even they've got you know things like gun colored and uh or some ortho flexible ortho resins and yeah, these sorts of things that are going to be coming out. I think we're so early. It's it's like when there used to be black and white laser printers, and now everybody has a color laser printer. You know, that yeah. back when there was black and white laser printers, a color laser printer was like two thousand pounds or whatever. Um, and now you can you know you can pick one up for um, a couple hundred quid or less. So the the technology is coming. It's just how long it takes to get there, really. Absolutely. Yeah, and I think you know what. From a from a user perspective, it's uh, really about how excited you are about the digital technologies. I mean, there's early adopters and there's people that become uh, users in the when when it becomes mainstream, and there's also people that forget to get on. And by the time they want to get on, the technology has moved on to the next level. Yeah. So it can make your life very very interesting and and very exciting, really, as a dentist. Yeah. Yeah. Need to have good training though, and good guidelines and support from uh, colleagues so you can get the best, most out of it, really. i tell you what's going to be wicked, though, is, you know, I don't want to go back and sound like we're plugging it, but the uh, but next weekend, if you if you are genuinely interested and if you listen to this before the course 
um, and you want to come along, even if it's fully booked, you know, we're happy to try and promote this so we can speak to people to see if it's uh, uh, possible to add you on. Um, the 3D printing course next weekend is going to just change the way you use your 3D printer if you've got one. Um, and even if, you know, you're looking at getting one, you don't have one yet, uh, you need to have those skills to be able to, to use it. And, you know, August, you know, there are there are literally people on one hand in the world who can teach you the skills of uh, uh, of what he's going to show. You know what I mean? And who better than August? Yeah. Very exciting. So looking forward to that, definitely. We're looking forward to that, guys, next week. And yeah. we'll be planning our next podcast soon. Um, I hope you've all found that very, very informative, what we've discussed today. And obviously, if there's any questions, please, uh, you know, forward to uh, forward to us, and let's see if we can put something new into the next podcast for you. Um, hopefully, there'll be some interest generated and some questions that have been generated. So, hopefully, we can uh, aim to cover the the queries that that will arise. Thank you. Thanks, guys. Thank you very much. Bye. The Digital Dental Academy podcast, sponsored by Three Sixty Visualize.